0: When people don't know what they're doing, they often default to cliche or to something they've read once many years ago. Um, their frustration often shines through. And when you're talking to a client and their frustration shines through, having emotional intelligence helps massively mm-hmm. because it helps you understand the client. Why? Well, what we just said they want to be heard,
1: they want to be listened. Conversations are at the heart of everything we do, but how do you turn a conversation into revenue? Welcome to B2B EQ, a podcast from Unifor. I'm your host, Tim Harris. Join me as I interview business leaders and market makers to learn how to move deals forward, scale best practices, and establish relationships that create value and grow revenue. Let's get started. Welcome back to the next episode of B2B EQ. Today's guest is someone I'm so excited to learn from. He is a sales trainer who helps people bring out the best of their ability. Recently selected as Salesforce top sales influencer to follow for 2023. Author of the book, Everybody Works in Sales. Managing director at Everybody Works in Sales, Niraj Kapoor. Niraj, great to have you.
0: Tim, it's such an honor to be here, especially since you've spoken to quite a few people like, you know, John Barrow, just people that I know. Larry, I think a lot of people have gone. Ah, and and uh, was it Martin Dixon? I think it was or Matt Dixon. Like, this yep, is really good. good. So yes, thank you so much.
1: Oh well, it's an honor. I, it's fun to follow you, um, Larry. is a is a friend. Both of us. I met him back in Nashville a while. We just had him on, and he brings so much motivation to yeah. the uh, to the art of sales. And one thing before we jump in that I loved is the title of your book, Everybody Works in Sales. We're going to dig into that in a little bit. But before we get started, um, just one question we ask all of our guests. In B2B sales, what is the one soft skill that's creating an impact both in the relationships with our buyers and that's driving revenue?
0: I imagine everybody says listening or empathy. So I'm not going to go with that. I'm going to go with, I, I do those, of course, and they're very important. But that's nearly always the first answer people give. So I'm going to use a soft skill that I use very effectively that gets results from me, but more importantly, gets results from my clients. And that soft sale, that soft skill is serving.
1: Tell me about serving and how you frame it for your customers, your clients.
0: Well, until 2021, 2021 was a pivotal year in my business Mm
1: -hmm.
0: because it was my, I just, the first two years of business are the toughest two years of your life because I don't have business skills. I spent my entire life in corporate London, so I had certain things like resilience. I was a great project manager, very good at sales, but being very good at sales and being very good at business are often two different things, you know, (laughs) being a business owner is one of the most difficult jobs in the world. And my second year in business, I went through a traumatic divorce and then lockdown happened. So in lockdown, my client said, hey, we have no money now. We're sorry. And that was pretty traumatic. If you can imagine going through a divorce, having clients say we have no money and being alone in a house by yourself for four months. So that had quite a profound impact on my life. And a few months later, clients had budgets, but it wasn't sales training. It was LinkedIn. So I had to do a complete pivot learn LinkedIn and learn sales training and sales LinkedIn training is very different to sales training it's much more gentle you're helping people more Mm -hmm. you're still teaching of course but it felt like I was serving and I kind of the word serving you know I think it was Oprah Winfrey who said when things come to you they don't shout in your ear they whisper And the word serving kept appearing and i kept hearing it over and over again but i wasn't i was doing it but i wasn't talking about it because after all i'm a sales trainer i've done sales my whole life (laughs) i'm not i'm not a server i'm a salesperson that's what i am and it felt more manly to say you're a salesperson as well so i I kept doing it and then in 2021 everything changed i I did a couple of things which changed my life one is i started telling stories about my personal life which Mm -hmm. elevated me to a huge level and a big following Uh, The second thing I did, I started standing out. I looked at what my competition did, and I started doing the complete opposite. That really helped me. And the third thing is, instead of just selling and selling and saying, look, you want results, contact me, contact me today, deadline tomorrow, I stopped doing that, and I just served. And what I mean by that is, Tim, I helped people as much as I possibly could. Not in the hope that they would do business with me, but just because I wanted to help as many people as I possibly could.
1: It's a a very profound way of saying, you know, adding value, adding value, adding value before you go and ask for something in return. And it's something you've lived. I wonder how does that scale in an organization as a a trainer of sellers? How do you impart that type of philosophy when there's the quarterly by quarterly earning goals and, and the challenges that are in like a B2B sales arena right now?
0: Well, don't forget, I work with companies every single day Mm -hmm. on everything from prospecting to email writing to presentations to LinkedIn, of course. Mm -hmm. Um, And what I find most companies, they just go straight in there. They don't really spend time. They'll often ask one or two questions because they feel they have to, not because they want to. They often feel, oh, I have to ask one or two questions to find out about them. And as soon as I get an answer... I'm just going to go straight into demo mode, which is what they do. (laughs) Yes. You really have to ask questions and uncover. And when somebody tells you the concerns and you're listening, which are skills we all know are so, so important and you're empathizing and you're really understanding, then you start to provide solutions, which is the serving and you help them and you help them and you're helping the client. Is there anything else I might have missed? Okay. Does that make sense? Brilliant. How do you feel about that? You know, these are the things I'm asking along the way. I'm not saying, are you ready to do the deal? Okay. I'm not (laughs) saying look, we got 48 hours left or else it's gone. You know, none of these cheesy 1990s sales methods. It's a much slower way of doing business. I'm not going to deny it. Mm -hmm. However, for me, when I see it implemented, it's a way more effective way of business. And ultimately that's what's more important in sales. You know, a lot of people often leave their sales targets to too late. And the last week of the month, they just spam as many people as possible, or they offer ridiculous discounts. That's not how you do sales. Sales is a long game. And if you're trying to hit your goals for end of the quarter, you don't start pushing yourself in the last few weeks. You start pushing yourself for the entire
1: quarter, and
0: you, Absolutely. And you have to be consistent, you know?
1: Well, and it's, it's good to say it's a long game, especially right now, right? Things oh, are getting yeah, harder and harder to go through. There is more indecision in the market than ever before. And and the stats we were just at a, a conference last week for AISP, um, and so really pushing the the kind of transformation into digital sales. But when you look at the numbers, it was something like forty five percent of sales teams aren't at quota. And I think that number's even been seen bigger in different places, right? Seventy-seven percent of the time, selling or not spent selling, right? So a very fraction, small fraction of the time, with sellers being able to sell. And then we've spent so much on technology, but we're still batting less than five hundred when it comes to calling our forecasts. That's a it's a challenging time for sales right now, and you're taking a longer game approach, and I think it's it's interesting for two things the channel that you're talking about, LinkedIn especially, and from there, where you can maybe do something or think differently about sales now compared to what's maybe worked the last five or 10 years.
0: Exactly. I'll give you an example of serving. On Sunday night, I did a post on LinkedIn called Recommended Books and Podcasts. Mm -hmm. And I read a book a week. I buy a book a week, and I study it, and I underline it, and I listen to podcasts, especially when I'm traveling, I listen to podcasts more. And I give a shout-out to seven people, uh, four authors and three podcast people. Mm -hmm. Now, half of them I knew, the other half I didn't know, and I recommended people go buy their books. I didn't say, oh, by the way, buy my books. They're amazing. Oh, by the way, I'm an author. Check me out on LinkedIn. No, no, I just gave shout-outs to those seven people. Five of them came back to me in private messenger saying, thank you so much. That is such a generous thing to do. It was anything I can do to help, please ask Now I didn't I don't I didn't do it to get a favor yeah. back, but I love the fact I was able to make them feel that good and I was able to serve and in the past I've done things like that to people and I've had authors recommend me to other people say you should check out Nairaj, LinkedIn trainer or Nairaj, a sales yeah. trainer check him out really good guy the amount of recommendations I've got just by helping people just by serving others just because someone's got a new product out and I'll do a post on LinkedIn to say Check out this person's new course. Check out this person's new product. Check out this pharmacy company's, you know, things like that are so important. I'm not doing it and then contacting the person saying, hey, you see what I did there? You're welcome. When are we going to work together? No, I did it to help them. Disturb them. Now, don't get me wrong, Tim. Every now and again, you're going to do this and people will take advantage of you. They will never show gratitude or they will lead you on. Is that frustrating? Of course it is. I'm not going to deny it. Of course it
1: is. That's part of life.
0: Yeah. But it's not going to stop me doing that. Yep.
1: yep. No, it's, I like the way you frame it because at the end of the day, people still buy from people. And, and I think LinkedIn, especially, I would love to dive into some tactics that you have for our audience, some things or some frameworks, or even, even some ideas that they can, you know, when you're sitting down to write a, a LinkedIn post and you're staring at that blank screen think of how can they frame that message or how can they talk to their audience? How can they use LinkedIn in an effective way? Because if you're like me, which many of the listeners and probably yourself is, or definitely are, I mean, I, I, I am amazed at how many LinkedIn messages come through the system now. It's a tougher well, system to deal with than Outlook in terms of all that volume. And it, you can't cut through the noise. So how, how can people kind of cut through the noise and make LinkedIn a successful channel?
0: Uh, You cut through the noise on LinkedIn very easily. I spoke earlier about the importance of standing out. Mm -hmm. I looked at what my competition was doing. I did the complete opposite. And that proved to be very valuable to me. So I started doing video consistently once a week. Most of my competition weren't doing that at the time. Now a lot of them are, but two years ago they weren't. That gave me a big head start. And so I use video at least four, maybe five times a day. And I will use voice notes at least 10 times a day. So I'll give you a good example. There's people on my network about to give, one guy was talking about giving his first talk. Mm-hmm. And I had the voice note to say, look, I've given over 200 talks around the world. Here's what you've got to be doing. I left him two voice notes, one minute each. I recommended books he should be reading. Oh. Uh, talk Like Ted by Carmine Gallo is brilliant. Ted Talks by Chris Anderson is absolutely superb. Uh, Simon Sinek, TEDx, start with why. Mm-hmm. I also gave a link to my TEDx, talking about the power of vulnerability. I also said, look, you really got to record yourself on camera, and then or, or on a mobile camera, and watch yourself back. And get rid of ums, errs, and as. But also, you've got to script everything out, and the first 60 seconds and the last 60 seconds are the most important. And you've got to open up with something dramatic or a powerful question or a story. That is how you get the audience engaged, OK? Do not say, let me tell you about myself, which initially, by the way, he did. And he was yeah. so grateful. He called me saying, oh my god, you've taught me so much in two minutes. How much would it be to hire you for a few hours? You'd only hire me for one hour. That's all he could afford. That's okay. I want a piece of business just by helping somebody. And again, I didn't help him. Say, look, if you want me to coach you, here are my fees. <laughs> Here's yeah. my kindly link, which is the worst thing you can say. I was just helping the person. I do that at least two or three times a week, helping people, or I see a LinkedIn profile which you can do with some help, mm-hmm. and I'll say to somebody, look, as a business owner, people want to hear your voice. And if you share somebody's post, you get very bad engagement that way. Personally, it's a very nice thing to do. I think it's a lovely thing to do, but LinkedIn's algorithm doesn't reward it. Therefore, please don't do it. Tell me in your own voice why you're sharing this post. It's a job position in your own company. And by the way, the post you shared was terrible. I'm sorry it was. Hi, we're a family, like a family-run business. We're really nice people. Hi, Perks. I mean, everybody says that. Tell me why people should work with you. What's yeah. your reason for doing this? Why should they come to work for you? Don't tell me it's the perks. And please stop saying family culture. The worst people you can ever work for are those who say our family is like a business. they the worst people. <laughs> they really are. Because um, I've worked with them before. Um, so <laughs> he came back to me saying, thank you so much. That was such a generous thing. I said, hey, it's no problem. Now, he may become a client. He may not. But you're serving somebody. You're making their life better. So LinkedIn video
1: and LinkedIn voice notes. You got up to 60 seconds, make the most of it. That's tremendous. Two, two great takeaways for our sales teams. And I think something that will, because too often it's a call out something that you have special or or something that's, that's easy to, easy to call out. And then right after it, okay, would you like to talk about uh, seeing this demo or seeing this product? It's not filling that gap. I think our, our buyers, if you look at it from that lens, they want somebody with business expertise. They want somebody that adds value, that wants to help them on their journey, not somebody to sell them a product.
0: 100%. I've worked with so many clients in America, and their method of prospecting is either email, and let's be realistic, Tim, nobody needs more emails. Nobody. Or they call somebody up and go, hi, can I have 35 seconds of your time. Can I have 55 seconds every time? These are the new things people are doing nowadays. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it, it worked quite well a year ago. It's not working as well now. Um, or, hi, this is a cold call. Um, can you just give me a minute of your time? You know, you've got to be better than that. And if not everybody is in LinkedIn, of course, let's be mm-hmm. realistic. At the same time, when you connect with somebody on LinkedIn and you're liking and commenting on their posts and you leave a voice note, you're going to get a much quicker and a much better response than if you cold call them or send them yet another email they don't need.
1: Yeah. it's spot on. Don't don't create more noise and more pollution that doesn't need to be there.
0: There's too much noise and too much pollution already. There really is. (laughs) America is a very competitive market. I spent years, I spent five years working in America, which is why somebody... Irish or, or British, call me what you like. I was I saying a bit of both because I worked yeah, I worked 25 years in London, but I grew up in Ireland, so I'm a bit of both. I spent five years working in America in the shipping industry, running shipping events, training sales teams, working purely West Coast America, purely East Coast America and Houston. That, that was my territory. Yep. So I understand how people in South Carolina sell so differently. The people in New York and people in New York sell so differently to Seattle. And even Seattle is different to LA, even though they're part of California. And I understood that, but even now that I'm training sales teams in America, you know, when I set my own business up, I thought having American experience would benefit me. Nobody cared. Americans are hard to impress. They want to work with Americans. They don't mind working with somebody British. if That person is famous or beautiful, but otherwise it's really difficult being British and trying to, it is, it's very difficult finding work in America. It's so interesting. If you're a sales trainer or a LinkedIn trainer, it's very difficult. Very few of my friends are working in America. And it was only when I won the LinkedIn Top Voice Award, they started to pay attention to me. And when I won the Salesforce Award, now my third year in a row, but my, when I won it for the second year in a row, that's when I started to get more work. And then recently, third year in a row, and now a lot of my work, about 30% of my revenue is North America, which is fantastic, but it was hard. So I'm having to work with, Amer- when you work with Americans, they're much more demanding than Europeans. They demand greater ROI. They demand faster results. So again, it's very important to understand how different parts of the world work in terms of sales. You know, Canada is so different to America on so many levels. And And America is so different to London, which is so different to Ireland. Everybody is different. And in America, people demand quicker results. And so I'm using voice notes. I'm using videos all the time on LinkedIn for my clients. And they're just getting better results quicker. And as a result, they have happier sales teams and they have greater sales retention.
1: Well, and it's, it's fascinating that you say that about America because I think the, the pace is only spiraling faster and faster. And, and now, you know, with AI tools, some of the things that are generative AI to auto-create messages and emails and those things, it's very hard to overcome just the, the volume. I, I'm curious, that creates, like I think of where that goes, that creates confusion. Right in the market and confusion in a buyer's mind. How do you like? Like you're saying, they need to see an ROI. They need proof. They need to feel absolutely confident that this deal is going to do for them what what you're promising. How do you build that confidence in a buyer?
0: Um, I do two things. Um, First of all, I share at every step of the process, uh, whether it's an email or whether it's a presentation or whether it's a follow up. I always include a testimonial from somebody, not just anybody, because it has to be, you know, if I'm working with a client in America, I have to give them a testimonial from an American client. I can't give a testimonial from a solopreneur in India (laughs) because it doesn't make sense. You remember once I was working with a small business and I gave him a testimonial from Barclays. Barclays are one of the biggest banks in the UK. And their biggest client for almost a year it was a great honor to work with them. It took me almost seven months to win them mm-hmm. and I ended up working. Uh, I got recommended to six different branches of Barclays. So it was a great earner for me earlier on in my career. And I remember I gave this to a small business owner and she wasn't impressed. I said to her, why not? She goes, Neeraj, it's me and my assistant. I don't care about Barclays. And that was a great learning lesson for me because I lost yeah. that deal. So ever since that with Americans, you, you give um, testimonials from American companies or a European equivalent. And that's very important. Um, So I'm always giving testimonials, which is very important. But second of all, I'm always sharing insight. So I had a client um, who actually made an incoming inquiry. We had a meeting, a presentation, went quiet, didn't respond to a follow-up email, didn't respond to LinkedIn voicemail. I thought, oh, God, what's going to happen now? (laughs) I don't want to be one of these guys, one of these awful salespeople that sends an email going... Hi, I hope you're well. <laughs> just bumping this to the top of the email. You know, I don't want to be that guy <laughs> ever, ever. It's the worst thing you can do. And so I Googled him, and I found out he was a big fan of Manchester United. And I just watched a documentary on their manager, Alex Ferguson, because I'm a big sports fan. And I sent him a link to the documentary. I you've got to check this out. Here are three things I learned. And he goes, oh, my God, I checked it. It's brilliant. And all of a sudden, <laughs> just about his favorite football team, who I don't even support. But I respect I'm not one of these terrible football soccer fans, as you would call them, who just supports one team. I love soccer and I love sports and I can talk about it. Uh, English ones, I should say, not American ones. Um, American (laughs) ones, like everybody. Yeah, well, American ones, I can talk about the last dance because it was on Netflix like everybody else can, but that's pretty much it. I'm I'm getting better. Uh, I discovered who Tom Brady was last year. So I'm getting Uh, better. You're there. You're there. He was great. He was. He did an interview with Salesforce, that's how I got to know him. I'm like, this guy's really impressive, so I Googled him and went, Ooh, not bad at all. Um, so yeah, I shared inside, and we started talking about football, and then he goes to me, I'm so sorry, I just we had a lot of stuff internally that was happening. A lot of the time when people don't return your phone calls, they have a lot of things happening internally. Yeah. Sometimes, of course, it is your fault, you didn't maybe qualify enough, maybe you weren't interesting enough, maybe your value proposition wasn't good enough, maybe your cost was too high. There's a whole variety of reasons, but that's why follow-up is so important, and majority of my competition either don't follow up, or they follow up, How are you interested, How have you got a special rate, high, last opportunity left, just boring, hackneyed, cliched sales tactics. Me, I Google a person. I research them. I find out a bit about them. And quite often you'll find out a defunct Twitter account from a few years ago or an old post or quite often an interview they've done. Mm -hmm. And people really appreciate it when you make that effort. Nobody's ever gone to me. You know what? You're a terrible stalker. Nobody has ever said that to me. They appreciate the fact I've gone and made the effort to research
1: them and find out information that could be of value to them. Well, that's, it's, it's again, it's that human side. It, it's connecting in a way that's meaningful to that buyer, to that person. That, and I think those, those are the reasons why, like when I think of sales and in the future, we'll always have a role in the buying process because that is a place where you can build confidence and trust just in kind of being heard and understood. We did a, a survey recently, it was market research for over 950 buyers and sellers. And I was blown away. We'll be putting a report out soon. But some of the initial factors, the two things buyers said was, I want to feel heard and understood. That was number one. And I want you to focus on my unique needs. That was number two. Wow. And so much like dating. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So much like dating. Unbelievable. I love that parallel. And so, Naraj, I brought you on the show because you're somebody that gets the human side of sales. And, and I want to ask you, you know, why EQ, why now do you think it's such an important topic and such a differentiator compared to, I mean, it's always been around, but why is it really it seems to be something that's just being more and more spoken about, more and more amplified?
0: Yeah, emotional intelligence is now more important than ever. Because when times are tough, As they have been, and challenging over the last few months, and by the way, they will continue to be challenging for at least the rest of 2023. Give or take a few months, it's going to be challenging. Mm -hmm. When that happens, people often default to really bad decision making. That can be they will get automated software. So many people I know are using automated software now on LinkedIn. LinkedIn doesn't approve of this, by the way, but they do this so they can connect with as many people as possible. Having as many followers as possible on LinkedIn is not a smart choice. It's the quality of your followers and how you engage with them. But people are doing that. A lot of really bad decisions people are doing right now is emailing as many people as possible. Terrible. Spamming as many people as possible. Terrible. So when times are challenging or tough, Tim, what people do is they often default to cliche or bad decision-making. They mm-hmm. often get frustrated. And when you get frustrated and you've got to make financial decisions, you don't often make very good ones. I have been there, unfortunately. First two years of my business, I made some terrible financial decisions. Mm-hmm. Because all my family, and for those who are listening, even though I've got an Irish accent, I'm Indian. And because my family are Indian, they all there are either teachers or doctors. Okay, <laughs> So none, <laughs> of them, none of them could advise me how to run a business. Yeah. And the advice they all gave was just the worst advice. If you ever asked a five-year-old for advice in running a business, it'd be better than the ones my family gave me. Really, because they don't understand business. Yeah. And so, people often don't. When people don't know what they're doing, they often default to cliche, or to something they've read once many years ago. Um, their frustration often shines through, and when you're talking to a client, and their frustration shines through. Having emotional intelligence helps massively because mm-hmm. it helps you understand the client. Why? Well, what we just said? They want to be heard. They want to be listened. You know, I find I had a, somebody I work with about two years ago, not a client anymore. And he did a, a post on LinkedIn. It's been a tough day today. So mm-hmm. he put up a picture of his cat to say, this picture makes me smile. That was it. I picked up the phone and called him and he wasn't around. And I said, look, please give me a call back. I don't want to give you advice. I'm just here to listen. And he called me back two hours later. And he talked and he bawled his eyes out on the phone. It was anniversary of his mother's death. And he was just missing her. That was all. All I did was listen. I didn't say to him, you know what? Here's what I recommend you do. No, no, no. I just listened. And I made him feel important. That's it. That's all I did. And you cannot even begin to imagine the kind of impact that has on another person, yep. You know, I didn't do that. and Say, listen, by the way, any of your clients need any sales training? <laughs> that'd, that'd <be laughs> the worst thing I could do. That's I'm sorry. Yeah, that doesn't, that doesn't go well. <laughs> it sucks. She passed away. But do you know any? You know, <laughs> I didn't do that. Okay. Uh, what it was, I listened. That was it. People want to be heard, and they want to know you care. And that's such good advice to give to salespeople, to SDRs, mm-hmm. to AEs, and even to sales leaders everywhere. Okay? Never underestimate the importance of being a good human being. So much of the business I get is just because I've been kind to people. I've helped people. I've supported people.
1: Well, it, it talks to that momentum. I think there's an underlying, we've all felt it in business when you just have this momentum. and it and it starts to build, and I almost think of like a pipeline building, if you're just very targeted and everything seems transactional, like, oh, I'm going to talk to that person because that's who I need to talk to for them to buy this deal, hmm. and that's all you're doing, it becomes very like almost transactional, almost fake, right? But when you're just building momentum, we were just at an event uh, last week, first time I've been at a conference in, in a little while. It was so fun to just connect in a community and talk and share ideas and share challenges and you're not selling people constantly. You're just running into people, meeting them in different circles and different conversations. Then it naturally comes up. Oh, what are you trying to work on? Oh, well, we do something like this. It feels so much more natural. I think that's almost why people love face-to-face interactions compared to what you said in the beginning. We we say two questions to get them to say something personal about themselves, and then we jump right into business, and it's 30 oh. minutes of show up and throw up.
0: It's it's too much face-to-face events, whether it's networking events or especially conferences. I love paid conferences because yeah. that's what my clients attend. I, I don't really attend networking events in the morning or evening anymore. You know, the free yeah. ones are the worst um, or the ones sure. that cost £10, which is like $12. I don't do those. I go to conferences like Tony Robbins where people will pay $1,000 just to get through the front door.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I picked up so many clients by attending Tony Robbins because his salespeople are pretty aggressive. Yeah. Um, and I was surprised They trying to sell to me afterwards. I'm like, whoa, that's really bad. I've had Robert Kaiser, I've had all these people trying to sell to me. It's very hardcore, very American. Um, yeah. You know, it's $5,000, but if you, if you sign it up today, it's two and a half thousand, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. So I picked up a lot of business in them again, just by caring, just by listening to people. Really, it just it makes such a big difference. It really does. And um, again, with networking, we spoke earlier, Tim. I said it's mm-hmm. so important to stand out. Yes, You go to networking events, what do most people say? Hi, what do you do? That is the worst thing you can do as soon as you meet somebody. You want to stand out at any networking event or any conference or any exhibition. Hi, what brought you here today? That is the question you ask. Second question you ask is, who are you interested in meeting? Ah, People will tell you in detail who they want to meet. Then you can say, quite often when you ask that question, they'll tell you what they do, but if they don't, just last question, Uh, what is it you do then to meet these people? And you find out so much about people just by asking those two or three questions at a networking event or a conference. You find out so much about people. And you say to somebody, who do you want to meet? And you can then introduce them to that person. They will stay with you for such a long time. Absolutely. And that's what I do at networking events. Who do you want to meet? Why do you want to meet this person? Okay, I actually know that person I can introduce you to. But before, before I do... You know, I'm, in, I'm putting my reputation on the line here by introducing you to somebody else. What is it about you that's unique and different? I love asking that question. That's normally a fourth question to ask somebody um, because I don't want to just introduce somebody to somebody else for the sake of it. Uh, I want to introduce them to good people. So I always like to say to somebody, what is it that makes you different? And that's where you can really tell amateurs and from the professionals, you know? So again, it's just standing out, asking good mm-hmm. questions. It does make a big difference. Show an interest in other
1: people. That is part of what serving is. You hit on a hot topic that many of our guests have hit on before, which I love, that that hint of curiosity. I think asking questions, being interested in the other person, seeing it from their perspective, one, very good social and self-awareness, which is those tenants of EQ, but also such such a great framework there. I think that's one we'll have to pull out definitely out of this, this conversation. It's just so easy to implement for awesome questions next time anybody's in face-to-face or at a conference. Neeraj, that was I like that a lot. Now, I'm excited to kind of ch- transition here a little bit. What keeps you up at night, number one? And then what excites you for the future? What, what do you see that's, that's just absolutely kind of getting you motivated for the next few years?
0: What keeps me up at night are the number of truly horrendous marketing agencies and social selling agencies out there who are taking lots of money from people by saying, you know, we helped get client 400% growth last month. Because when you start shouting outrageous figures to people, unfortunately, people get excited about it. Mm-hmm. You now, if you're a personal trainer and you say, you know what, I'm going to help you lose weight by eating as much crap as you want, or you're a personal trainer who says, you know what, it's going to be really tough these next six months. You mm-hmm. might even put weight on. It'll be hell for you. You'll really struggle. Which personal trainer do people go for? The first one the dummy who says you can eat what you want you know, because it's the easy option. So yeah. when I tell people you do some training with me, say LinkedIn training, it'll take you three to six months or some dumbass marketing agency. And there's a lot of real con artists out there. Oh, you wouldn't yeah. believe how many terrible social selling and marketing agencies are out there who have gone to people I'm working with or used to work with or were about to work with. Who said, no, don't, don't pay him £1,500 a month. Give us $500 a month. And we'll do it all for you. And what they do is they have a virtual assistant in the Philippines who spams as many people as possible. <laughs> the they spam run channel. Auto- oh, yeah. And then they run automated yep. software that spams in. I mean, it's just awful. Yep. And then after three or four months, these people realize these marketing agencies and social agencies suck. But by that time, they've often thought, you know what? Nah, that was a bad experience. I'm not going to invest in anybody again. I'll just do it myself. Um, or sometimes they are smart enough and they then come to me. But so I, I kept awake a lot at night by these awful social selling agencies and these awful marketing agencies who just sell crap. But because there's eight, 10 or 15 people working for them, people are impressed by that and they often hire them thinking, well, there's safety, they're a big company. They're not just, just him and his assistant. Let's go with a bigger company. That frustrates me. It angers me. It's a wrong, people shouldn't do it, but they do. And that keeps me up a, a lot at night because for me, it's not just lost revenue. It's seeing clients get hurt.
1: Yeah. I think you that's also, you, that, that's fascinating. And I also think you make a good differentiation there because that truly is just spam marketing, right? Like the telemarketing of old, the the mass marketing that we we saw work for a number of years. Absolutely, unfortunately, but uh, it did. You could be louder than anybody and win. Um, but it's it's fascinating because that is a big differentiator, I think, than modern sales. Modern sales is not the... Let's just put people in a sequence to get them getting attacked with email. It's really, let's have a discussion so I can add value because that's what the sales channel has turned into. It's, it's it's turned into that, that person you go to for advice because I can get the product features and sheets online, right? I can, I can download those assets. Now I need somebody that's really an expert in the field.
0: Another question you asked was, was it about the future of sales? Yeah.
1: What are you excited for in this future? We've got AI coming out. We have all of these innovations. The world is definitely changing around us. We've been, I think 97% of sales are happening over video. What what excites you about kind of where we're going?
0: What excites me most about sales is seeing people face-to-face. Um, You know, when I go and see clients, I often have to get a taxi to the airport, a Mm -hmm. flight to go see them, another taxi once I arrive at the airport. I lose so much of my time going to see people, but I'll tell you what, they love me for it and they're loyal to me for it. So never forget or underestimate the importance of loyalty and showing up for people in person. Because in today's technology-driven world, people often forget the human element sometimes. And seeing people face-to-face being a good human being and also learning to turn technology off. So at lunchtime every day, Tim, my mobile is off, my emails, everything's off for at least 20 minutes. And I'll sit there, have my lunch in complete peace and quiet, not with music on the background, not watching YouTube, just peace and quiet. Or I go for a walk and I'll come back and have lunch with my partner or my mother or someone like that. But you've got to allow yourself quiet time, in a world that's incredibly noisy, mm-hmm. because you have to pace yourself. when we talked about at the beginning, be in it for the long term. And you've really got to condition yourself, be ready for the long term. So as much as I love digital, as much as I embrace digital, please be able to turn it off a few times a day for short amounts of time. And always go see people face to face because you'll always build a much quicker relationship with them that way than you ever will over fifty or sixty or seventy emails.
1: A lot of wisdom there. I think if my mom's listening to this one, she'll like that. Uh, she had an English teacher and uh, and uh, definitely one that always said, get together face-to-face, sit down and talk and spend that time. And I think it, some some definite wisdom in a world where we uh, are constantly Zoom meeting and distracted by our devices almost everywhere we go. Very true. Well, Naraj, I, I have gotten the opportunity to learn from you for so much of this time. I'd love to learn a little bit more about you. So take me back to kind of what brought you here, um, some of your past experiences. I know you shared some of them before, but um, kind of even before you you started on this journey, what, what you've done and, and kind of um, what shaped who you are.
0: What shaped who I am really took place. I was 15 years into my job in sales. I wasn't the best, not even close. I was above average because I worked my ass off. I asked great questions mm-hmm. and I didn't waste time on gossip. It's very important to mention that. Work my ass off. None of this work life balance nonsense I'm hearing so many young people whine about nowadays. When I see 22, 23 year olds crying about work life balance, like, dude, you have no idea what it's like. Just be quiet. If you want success in life, you've got to put in extra hours. I'm sorry if that's not a popular comment to make, but it's a fact. I don't know anybody successful who doesn't work much, okay? <laughs> I'm not saying you have to work 16, 17 hours a day because I'm against that as well. Yep. But let's not work nine to five and expect to be at the top of our field. It really is is a bit silly, okay? Yep. So um, I worked my ass off, asked great questions, and didn't waste time gossiping. And a lot of bosses really appreciated me for that. But when I lost my job in the recession in 2010, that was a game changer for me because I went through a very dark time because I was good at my job, above average, hit my targets. But because my salary was the highest, the company stupidly thought getting rid of me would save them money. And it did for about... Two months, and a year later, they lost half a million pounds, which is about six hundred fifty thousand dollars. They lost because they got rid of me, um, and that was heartbreaking. And what I learned was, uh, I discovered personal development, going through a very difficult time in my life. And the more you learn, the more you earn. Well, the more you learn, and the more you take action on, the more you earn. Uh, when I invested in personal development, everything changed. When I got a coach who could help take my sales to the next level, everything changed. And if you really want to excel in sales, the smartest thing you can do is read books. Or if you're very young, listen to Audible and listen to podcasts like this. There's so much information. When you were talking to Larry in your podcast, I wasn't just listening to it going, that's interesting. For those of you who aren't listening, I'm holding up a pen, I'm holding up a notepad. <laughs> <laughs> Never underestimate the importance of taking notes. Yes. Don't just listen and go, oh, that was good and get on with your day. No, no, no. Take notes. I have a notepad in every single room in this house. Every single room, mainly the toilets, I can get away with that, but living room, kitchens, they're everywhere. Yep. I have five or 10 minutes during the day. I'll look at them just to keep my brain fresh, but always be learning. This is my 29th year in sales, my fifth year as a business owner. Every day I'm learning. Every day I'm trying to get better. Never stop improving. And you will see a huge difference in terms of hitting your sales targets
1: and achieving success. Spot on. That's that's an amazing story that brought you here, and I think it's you've lived the journey, right? You you believe in the things that that you're doing and helping others with, and have gained a lot from them. So, so interesting to to hear kind of just what shaped you a, along the way. Tell us a little bit about your statement. Everybody works in sales, and then a little bit about the the company as well, and and some of the the people you're working with.
0: The reason it came about was I was speaking to a law firm about sales training and the lawyer said i'm a lawyer i don't work in sales what do i need your help for and i said to him, everybody works in sales he goes no they don't <laughs> because he's a lawyer all lawyers think they know better i'm sorry i'm sorry lawyers out there but you do um and i said to him, what about presentation skills don't you have to give talks yeah. he said yes i said okay we're currently having a conversation you're slouched against the desk and your legs are crossed over while you're talking to me
1: those behavioral
0: so that, cues. Yep. <laughs> exactly. His body posture was terrible. Okay? Yeah. and um, You know, think about it. The competition, you're going to be able to speak at events. When you stand up straight with your legs, same base apart as your hips, and you don't lean and slouch and everything, that's a presentation skill. That's sales I've just taught you. Communicating, that's sales. Psychology, that's sales. When you email it to somebody, you have to understand sales marketing. That is sales. Everything mm-hmm. you're doing is selling to somebody. It's persuading, it's advising, it's helping, it's listening. As a lawyer. You have to listen, don't you? He went, yes. And there you go. You work in sales. I just smiled at me. And that, that was, that was a kind of a defining moment for me where I thought everybody does work in sales yeah. and that's, why I wrote the book. Everybody works in sales. And again, I talked about the importance of being different. If I wrote a sales book, there is no way anything I write will ever compete with Brian Tracy, Zig Ziglar, Mark Hunter. Anthony Anorino, Jeffrey Gittimer, I just can't compete with them. They're so good at what they do. They're people I admire and respect and I think they're incredible. So what I did was I told my life story about working in sales and every chapter there was a lesson you can learn. And the book did so well because it was personal storytelling. And there was so much failure. People were surprised how much I talked about failure and how much I failed in my life in order to achieve the success I have. And that's why I became a bestseller, an average self-published book sells 50 copies, which is terrible. Yeah, pre-works of Sales has sold 5,500 copies. Okay, it took over five years to do that. That doesn't matter. It sold 5,500 copies, and most of those were sold outside Amazon. That's which amazing. Which meant to make more profit as well. Amazon takes 70%, which is huge. I sold mine outside Amazon, so I made most of the profit. But that's how it came about. And in terms of who I help, you know people often say do you specialize in a certain area and i was told when i started out to specialize in an area and i refused to do that and i'm glad i did mm-hmm. because i work in everything from it security to pharma to SaaS to currently working with clients in alarm systems I'm working with two companies at the moment who are in ai just to clarify i know nothing about ai I know nothing about alarm systems. I know nothing about pharma. I know nothing about retail. Okay. Every industry I work in, I have zero knowledge in because my job is not to teach you product. That is your job. My job is to teach you how to sell it, how to connect with customers and serve. And that is what I do. And I do LinkedIn training as well, of course. Um, LinkedIn training probably is about 60% of what I do. And the other 40% is sales training. And what is fascinating is most people come to me and say, look, we need to close more deals. But when I spend time talking to them, Tim, uh-huh. It's rarely closing deals. The problem is most people cannot open deals. They cannot ask the right questions. They cannot listen. They rush into the deal. They haven't a clue about negotiation. Most people are terrible at negotiation. Almost everybody I have to coach when I'm observing their demos or I'm with them on a call, yeah. they speak faster. Their body language tenses up. They discount far too quickly. You know, it's amazing. Most people are, they just lack self-awareness. So these are things I help people with, the sales process, prospecting. But really, it's email writing and LinkedIn. That's what I do the most, I think, with people because most people suck at emails and most people suck at LinkedIn. I'm sorry, but you do. <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> simple facts. I'm sorry, we yeah. can't accept it, but those are the facts.
1: Well, it's, it's a new medium. And I, and I think, to your point, if we take a new medium, a new channel like that, and treat it like one of the old... We'll ruin it. I have a, have a statement I, I often go back to, which is marketing ruins everything, right? And uh, <laughs> I, I can say now it's it's marketing, sales, it's it's any of those outbound motions that don't, you know. There's, I liken it to a cocktail party. If I go on LinkedIn and I just go randomly, you know commenting, posting, liking sporadically. It's like being kind of the drunk guy at the cocktail party, randomly running into people. It, it's, it's not the etiquette that, that we would have. And I think you you call out that human side of all of this in the sales process. So important. So um, Niraj, it really interesting to hear your your view and just uh, the work you've been able to do to help all these different organizations interact better through all these channels, make real connections. So what do you do outside of work? What are some of your passions? I know you're recently traveling to Greece. Um, I loved the, your optimistic views. Um, what are some of the things you do outside of work?
0: Uh, I spend most weekends supporting local businesses, again, for free, yeah. uh, because I know how difficult it is running a, a, your own business. And so I to a lot of food markets and I buy lots of fruit, veg, buy lunch almost every Saturday. Again, supporting independent businesses. I don't ask anything forward. My Instagram is full of food pictures (laughs) and pictures of the Irish countryside and my cat. I mean, that really is it because it's just supporting other people, asking for nothing. And charity works a big part of my life. My parents are now full-time philanthropists and I've been very influential in my life and and charity works a big part of who I am. It's a big part of my purpose. And one of the reasons success is important to me is because it gives me freedom not to buy materialistic things, but to buy tables at charity events, to give those tables away to, to charities for free, mm-hmm. or often just for my partner and I to go to charity events and, and give money and help people out. So I'm saying giving back and again, helping others. I'm the kind of person you meet me outside LinkedIn. I'm exactly the same person you'll find inside LinkedIn. And that's very important for my brand. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't be different. I am pretty much the same person. Oh, and finally, I go to eight, 1980s rock music gigs. I'm obsessed with 80s rock music. Ah. Um, not the usual stuff you'd ex- expect, like Europe and White Snake and Brian Adams, which, which I adore and go and see all the time. But <laughs> it's bands you haven't heard of who are amazing, like the White Lions, Y&T, FM, Romeo's Daughter. I mean, these bands are outstanding. They're just not well known. And you get maybe 200, 300 people turn up in a pub to see them. That's it. Oh, but it's, they're all in their 60s now, and some are even in their 70s. But my God, the music they play is just beautiful. Eddie's music was a best. It
1: really was. <laughs> I love the fun facts we get to find out about you, Niraj. This is awesome. Well, I want to see a picture at the next concert then. Okay. <laughs> All right. I- I'm looking forward to that. That's amazing to hear. Well, I- where can people find you? Where can they connect? I always say to people, go to LinkedIn.
0: If you've to this podcast, send me a personalized invite. I love that. Again, it's standing out and being different. Yeah. If you're not a- active on LinkedIn, um, go to everybodyworksinsales.com. Uh, there's loads of free resources on there. Uh, happy learning, but most importantly, don't just read them.
1: Read them and then please take action. I love that. Don't just take the lesson, take action with it. For someone who has been able to, to share so many good books, I'm going to have to go back on this podcast, and we will in the show notes, hopefully, go back and list out all of these reads. You've you've widened my library tremendously on this one. Naraj, thank you so much for sharing your perspective, your expertise, and uh, look forward to talking with you soon.
0: It's an pleasure. Thank you so much for your
1: time, Tim. Thank you to all of our listeners out there. Please like, share, comment, find us on LinkedIn, connect where you can, and uh, make sure you listen to your podcasts wherever you get them. We'll see you on the uh, next episode of B2B EQ. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of B2B EQ. Be sure to rate, subscribe, and follow the podcast for more exciting insights. To learn more about the value of EQ and the technology powering today's conversations, visit us at Unifor.com.